just want to find out as you're finding your place in your Bible is how was your Thanksgiving? Do you guys actually having a respectable, decent Thanksgiving? Maybe you had some friends or family in town? Certainly the case for us. We got all of our kids back and it's always nice to see them and check in with them. Likely, though, your Thanksgiving was quite different than the very first Thanksgiving, 1621. The initial pilgrims, they had lost that year over half of their people. And yet, on that fall in 1621, with half their number dead, still facing intense dangers, difficulties, and a lot of uncertainties, they had what is recorded as the very first Thanksgiving to God in the midst of a lot of pain and still a lot of difficult circumstances. It was actually in that same uh, sense of gratitude. Abraham Lincoln, 1863, made a proclamation that a country that is being torn apart by war, a war between the states, a civil war, in hopes that there could be a unity where we could stop fighting among ourselves at a horizontal level and actually have a vertical appreciation and even worship to God, declared that on the final Thursday in November, an attempt to foster a sense of unity and purpose, that there was to be this giving of thanks. And I just want to ask um, this Thanksgiving weekend, are you really thankful this Thanksgiving? Maybe you uh, feel, actually, I'm, uh, I do feel slighted. Now, I don't want to bring up any uh, bad or unpleasant memories, but maybe you've been thinking, you know, this Thanksgiving weekend, you know, uh, I'm thinking about those who have been doing a lot of the cooking and cleaning and others who've been doing a lot of the eating and watching football, okay? And there's maybe some tension going on. I'm not trying to stir up any bad memories or anything, but maybe you're thinking about that. Um, perhaps uh, you do like hundreds of things for your kids or your grandkids. Maybe you've tried to even this week make things really special for them. And there's not a word of appreciation. In fact, when you do hear from them, it's like, why did you make it this way or something like that? And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. There's just something about ingratitude that kind of grates us. Maybe, maybe this pastor, you really, you went out of your way. You tried to be super helpful. You gave time. You gave some money. And uh, there wasn't a word of appreciation or thanks. And you're like, what is it with this individual? Or maybe it was just a try. Hey, thanks. You know, kind of like, by the way, thanks, you know. But there was really no heart to it. And it, and it actually kind of bothers you. There's a woman by the name of Teresa Bell Kindred. And she writes of a, an experience where she went and visited a friend who was in a park. And she was planting 23 trees. Each of these trees had been donated to be given in a like, memorial to a loved one that had passed away. And so on this particular occasion, her friend had planted most of the trees. And she came and she was going to try to be helpful. And there was a woman approaching that was, this woman is approaching this lady that's planting these trees. And she actually recognized her and, as, and saw her and looked on her face. And it wasn't the expression of gratitude that she thought this woman is just coming to give thanks. In actuality, this woman approached and said, you know that tree you planted the other day? And she goes, yes. Well, you planted it too close to the road. It needs to be moved. And she turned and walked away. This lady told Teresa that um, actually of all the families, for these 23 families who planted the trees, only two people actually showed any appreciation or even said thank you. And there's just something about a lack of gratitude that really bothers us. And it probably should. Because it really bothers God. See, it shouldn't surprise us 
uh, when we feel slighted that we're like, man, something's not right. This isn't how it works. There's something about relationship where you give and there's appreciation and there's heart and growth and relationship and community. We sense it, but God senses it even more. Does being thankful to God really matter? Does it? Well, it matters probably a lot more than you think. If you want to know how truly important it is to be really thankful, seriously, sincerely thankful, uh, you don't want to miss one of the critical life lessons that we're going to encounter in the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 11 in chapter 17. I'd like you to introduce to you a person that would be so unlike you, so unlike that you would ever meet someone like this. You find him here, and he'll help us answer the question, does being thankful to God even matter? Let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. While he was on his way, speaking of Jesus, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Jesus didn't come as a martyr. He most certainly wasn't a victim. Jesus came with a purpose. In fact, just a couple chapters later, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, this is why I came. Any confusion? Let me give you utter clarity. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you want to know why did God send his eternal Son to the earth for this purpose, to seek and to save those who are lost. And he is on this mission. In fact, he is going from the north part, Galilee, and he's going to the southern part of the kingdom called Jerusalem and Judea, and specifically to the city of Jerusalem. And we know what is about to take place. And he has set his eyes and his heart and his mind to go intently. And notice he's going from the north and he's cutting through this area called Samaria. Now, you need to understand a little bit about Samaria. In 722 B.C., this central part between Galilee and the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is located was conquered by the Assyrians. And how, what the Assyrians did is they would actually go and take the wealthy, the educated, anybody that looked like they kind of knew what they were doing, and they would pull them from their homes and they would haul them off to another part of their empire. And at the same time, they would bring transplants from another area that they had conquered and haul them all off and and bring them into this new conquered territory. And, that, and that's exactly what happened in Samaria. They brought all these foreigners in. And what happened is there was this like uh, intermarriage and they started sharing their various beliefs. And so you had the people that had been hauled off. Those that remained were still trying to maintain some semblance of faith in God and practicing Judaism. On the other hand, you have all these new people in with their local gods and regional deities, and they all kind of intermixed and they got it all mixed together. It's what's called syncretism. And that's what happened. You had Judaism being mixed with all these other regional foreign gods as if you could just kind of combine and have this nice little sociology, cultural experience of melding and mingling them all together. And that's what happened. For the people in the southern kingdom, they considered, hey, we're, we're holding on to the one true faith. And you have completely mixed it. You've mixed truth with air, poison with life that's given to us by God, and they consider them absolutely evil. The prejudice and the hatred for the Samaritans was so great that most Jews, if they were going from Galilee to Judea, why they actually cut across the Jordan River, you see that? And they would go into Perea, and then they would make their way through Jericho into Jerusalem. Why? Because it was considered to even enter into their land was to make you unclean. 
If you walk through the land, if you were by a Samaritan, you actually would just beat your sandals so the dust would come off it because they considered these people absolutely wicked and evil. When Jesus, you see this from the text, he is passing between Samaria and Galilee. He's actually cutting through Samaria. That makes him unclean. And while he's making his way into a land that he shouldn't be in, at least that's what most people think, for they do not know his mission, Verse 12, as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, these people, ten leprous men, one of society's most marginalized people. They were absolutely despised. Um, Leprosy in biblical times was the most feared illness that anyone could ever contract. And it covered a wide variety of of forms, whether it be any sort of blemishes on your skin, white spots, scaling, uh, even including modern day leprosy, which is called Hansen's disease. It is large category of, of skin diseases that eventually would take over and destroy one was called leprosy. And in order to actually understand what is going on, you have to enter into what it means to be a leper. You see, leprosy was like the AIDS of the ancient world. Uh, To be a leper, the word means like scaly, and it was to observe a condition on your skin. And the law was very specific. If you go to Leviticus 13 and 14, how to identify if someone had leprosy and what to do with them. And so what would happen is, let's say it's you. And all of a sudden, you you notice that on your skin, there's this, this white blotchy stuff and scaly and it's, it's it seems to be growing and you might try to cover it with your garment but eventually others would notice and what it was to, what you were to do is that the priest the kind of the religious leader in your village would be notified and the priests in the levitical system functioned kind of in one of their roles as like a health inspector and they came and they would observe and they would look at your skin And if it looked like anything that might be like leprosy, what they would do, according to the law, is that you would be quarantined for one week. That means immediately, no home, you get out of your home, you are going to be set aside. You're going to live outside the village for one week. And we'll see if it grows or spreads or maybe it just kind of goes away. It was just kind of a rash and it went away. No big deal. After a week, the priest would come and you, you'd show your arm. I'm sure you were looking at that thing like every minute to see like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on here? Whoa, whoa, it's getting better. Try to get some sun on us. What's going on here? And that priest would come after one week and look. And if it remained the same or if it had spread, why, you would be quarantined for an additional week, living completely outside the village. After that second week, the priest would come and he would look and examine if it, if it had spread continued to grow or it looked about the same with a look of brokenness on his face he would take one hand and cover his mouth he would extend his other hand and he would yell these two words unclean unclean and it would forever change that individual in a moment he would lose his family his friends even his future and he would be isolated from the land of the living What would happen is this leprosy would eventually start spreading and signs of grief and mourning. And what a leper was to do, they would 
They would tear their clothes. And this is what would happen in their life. Swelling and all of the scale, leprosy would eventually take over. Not only your skin, but then it starts working its way inward as it continues to be spread. Your organs would eventually be affected. It eventually actually affect your bones. And these people, they would, they would be living a horrid life, seeing themselves actually deteriorating and yet being isolated from society. Dr. Paul Brand did a lot of research on modern-day leprosy, Hansen's disease, which was likely included in this larger category of leprosy. And, and we've, we know from his research that what actually happens is that for modern-day leprosy, Hansen's disease, you actually lose sensation, like your nerve endings don't function the same. And so what they would observe, and this, I, we could show you pictures, but it would just bring horror to your heart, like... You wouldn't feel how hard you were scratching and you'd literally like pull off parts of your face. You could find that you can't feel your hands and like if you saw a potato, and this has been documented, that fall into a fire, you'd reach in and grab it. Of course, it would have its disastrous effect, but of course, you didn't feel it. Perhaps you'd wash your face with scalding water. You didn't actually feel it, but yet the effects would be the same. Maybe you grabbed your tool and you you held on so tight that you literally traumatized your hand. And remain in that position. Um, if you turned your ankle or somehow you damaged a tendon, you'd actually just start walking like this because you didn't feel it, and that's how you would continue to function. Or perhaps if you were sleeping and a rat came and actually chewed off one of your fingers, you didn't notice it until, of course, the next morning. That's all modern day's ha- modern day ha- Hansen's disease. You would begin to smell rotting flesh, your own. It was really a death by inches. And as bad as the physical implications were for leprosy, the social and religious implications were absolutely devastating for a leper. Leviticus 13 and 14 documents what this looks like. You would be legally ostracized. That means that you would have no contact with anybody that didn't have leprosy. In the Talmud, of the 61 defilements that Jewish people would recognize, number two on the list was to come in contact with a leper. Number one, to come in contact with a dead body. And for years, you, if you had leprosy, there would be no incidental touch. You would never gather with your family or your friends. You would never be back in the marketplace. Your, your job, you don't have a job anymore. You never would pick up your tools. You'd be completely isolated. You'd become the ultimate outcast. You would be banished and turned away. You'd be considered an untouchable. You would be avoided by people you did not know and you would be condemned to a future you could not bear. One ancient rabbi said this, When I see lepers, I throw stones at them, lest they come near me. Another said, I would not so much as eat an egg that was purchased on a street where a leper had walked. You see, the leper was so hated by others until he came to a place where he hated himself. There were all sorts of rules and laws. If you, you couldn't come within six feet, and if the wind was blowing, 150 feet of a leper. And there would be in this person's life a series of firsts and a series of lasts. Josephus, um, a Jewish historian writing in the time of Jesus, uh, said this. In effect, lepers were treated as if they were dead men. They were dead men walking. So there would be a seasons, uh, a series of, of, of lasts. There would be the last time that you would ever go to a worship service in a synagogue. There would be the last time that you would ever be around your friends or have a conversation with them. 
the last time you'd ever hold your tools or actually go to your place of work. There would be the last time you would ever feel the touch of your wife if you were married. The last time you'd actually ever hold your children, play a game with them, see them, hold them, touch them, kiss them. And all of this would be followed by a series of firsts. Can you imagine what it'd be like the first time you had to utter the words unclean? And you had to always put your hand in front of your mouth because they believed that it was contagious and that her, or it could even be hereditary. And there was a lot of people that were thinking that actually that leprosy was a judgment by God. And then what they would do is they would say, listen, do you remember what happened to Miriam? Remember Miriam? Her and Aaron were complaining and griping and grumbling about Moses and his leadership. And God said, you know, listen, you three now outside the camp. Remember that? And Miriam was given leprosy by God. So she'd have a week quarantine so she could think about her behavior, her attitude, and the effect of her words. Or there was uh, King Uzziah and what took place with him where he thought, you know what? I'm such a good king, and pride was just oozing out of him that he decided, you know what, I can do the things that the priests do. And God said, I don't think so. And he gave him leprosy. Pretty soon, you had to utter the words, unclean, and it'd mark you out as absolutely hopeless. You'd see it. You'd see parents pulling away their children and you were walking. You had to yourself always call out unclean, unclean. It marked your very soul as if you'd branded with these words, unclean. To be a leper was absolutely horrible. And these men keenly felt it. That's what actually brought them to Jesus. Mercifully, he didn't have a mirror, these men, to see what was taking place. But they had heard. They had heard words of this Jesus. Why, Jesus seemed to be friends of sinners. Jesus actually healed people, the lame, blind people, other lepers. Why, Jesus, even on different occasions had actually raised someone from the dead. Many people were saying that the promised Messiah of the Old Testament was indeed Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. Word was going out, even so far as the outcasts of society, the lepers, had heard. And could you imagine, for the first time in your life, you might actually have hope that God could deal with your situation. And he sent someone named Jesus. Well, these guys would have never imagined that Jesus would ever come in Samaria. After all, that'd make him unclean, right? And lo and behold, word had come out. Jesus was coming. He's cutting through Samaria. And when we find him here, verse 12, he entered a village and 10 leprous men, they stood at a distance and they met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, speaking of Lord, have mercy on us. You see, their whole life had been calling out unclean ever since they were diagnosed with leprosy. But you see, that they came to a place where they absolutely had nothing. And when you are there, you are in the perfect posture to receive grace. Not that you deserve it, but you bring nothing to the table and you know it. That's when you receive grace and that's what these men needed. These men in perpetual mourning had heard of Jesus and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're asking, God, would you be merciful to our condition? Would you help us and bring healing? For you and you alone can do this. So verse 13, they're raising their voices and they keep saying, can't you hear them? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And look at verse 14. And when he saw them, speaking of Jesus, he said to them, go 
and show yourselves to the priests. Like we said, the, the priests function like a health inspector. And Jesus, he's setting them up for failure. He doesn't heal them. What he does is goes and send them to the very people that have condemned them. And they're going to say like, you got leprosy, get away from me. He doesn't heal them. What Jesus asks is that they obey him. He says, I want you to go and show yourself to the priests. He asked them to obey. And the beauty of this is in verse 14. And they went. You see that in verse 14? And as they were going, they were cleansed. They were cleansed. They were healed. All of a sudden, can you see these guys? They're just dragging themselves. These men that look like they emerged from a grave. They're, they're, they have souls. They have feelings. They've called out to Jesus for mercy. He didn't provide. He sends them to the priest. They're like further condemnation. But as they're making their way, perhaps they noticed it in another. Maybe they saw maybe a digit reappear on their hand or their, their skin that was once like barnacles. All of a sudden becomes soft and supple. They see it in the faces. All of a sudden ears are back and nose. All of a sudden things are reappearing. They look. Can you imagine the rejoicing? To have been a leper and seeing your body deteriorate to death. And now all of a sudden there is life and healing and health. The celebration must have been immense as they just gathered and touched each other. Why? Life was returning. And notice verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his feet on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And this powerful one of them, one of the 10, he realized, whoa, whoa, look what Jesus has done. I, I'm going back. Maybe he tried to convince the others. We don't know. But he said, I know where I'm going. I'm going back to the source of my well-being, the source of my healing. And so what he does is he goes back and he goes and he appears before Jesus the others, we don't actually know about the other nine. Maybe they were just, man, it's so cool. I'm so happy. Maybe, maybe pride had suddenly returned with their healing. Kind of the idea is like, you know what? Whoa, most people die of this miserable disease, but I beat it. Like I beat leprosy. And you know what we're talking about. People say things like that. Like I beat cancer. Really? I don't think so. God may have brought healing but really, you're going to say, I beat cancer? I beat leprosy? We don't know. But one of them knew for certain that his healing had come from the hand of Jesus. And so he makes his way. And look at this. <laughs> Jesus doesn't ask many questions in the scriptures. Did you notice that? Why? Well, first of all, he knows all the answers. He's omniscient. But every time Jesus does ask questions, as recorded in the Gospels, it is always meant to drive home a point. And so look at this scene here. Here is this man who's been healed. He is giving thanks. He is glorifying God, meaning he's speaking of God's praises. There is joy. There is sincerity. And there's thanksgiving. There's not this like, oh, thank you. Uh, I'm like, I don't really mean it. No, he's gripped from the heart. And he's giving thanks and he's glorifying God. And he's down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus answered. Do you see this in verse 17? And said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? 
was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Where are they? Where are, they, where are the other nine? And look at this next verse, verse 19. And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Literally in the Greek, it says your faith has saved you. What this strongly suggests is that this man's faith also led to his spiritual salvation. Not only is he physically made well, but his soul is made well because now he is trusting in Jesus, the one who will one day soon pay the penalty for his sin. That he's entered into relationship with God himself. You know, physical healing is great. And we pray for it with earnest, right? But far greater than physical healing is to have your soul healed. To be made well with God. To actually have right relationship with him. And that's what this man is experiencing. It's far more wonderful. But there is a deadly problem that exists with the nine. That's why Jesus is asking, hey, weren't there ten of you healed? Where are the other nine? Let me tell you the deadly problem. The deadly problem here is that God was not at the center of their gratitude. I'm sure they were like, wow, this is awesome. This is great. Thank you. Wow, this is so cool. But they never were brought to the feet of Jesus. You see, I want you to know something here. Those who are really thankful become worshipful. Those who are really thankful, not superficial, but really thankful, you know what happens? They become worshipful. Now, before you judge these other, these nine lepers who didn't return to Jesus, I'm sure you're thinking like, oh, what wretches, right? Come on, you're healed by Jesus? And you just like, don't go back? What's wrong with you? Before you and I condemn them too harshly, let me just ask you about your own GQ, your own gratitude quotient. How are you doing? Likely, you're like me, why we've received untold number of blessings. Blessings from God. Significant ones. Has it led to thanksgiving and worship? Did you know that we are naturally unthankful? For those of you who are parents, you have discovered that, whoa, lo and behold, my children just don't automatically give thanks. What's wrong with you, right? We're naturally unthankful. It is a work of God to start bringing about true thanksgiving in a human heart. Remember when we went through the book of Romans? Romans begins in Romans 1, 21, it says this, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you know that you can be in a condition where you actually know God? Maybe you even show up at a church. Maybe you got some Bibles. You can know God. And you can actually come to a place, though, that really you don't honor him as God with your choices and your decisions. God's on the shelf. You might be playing the religious game, but you're not honoring him as God, nor are you giving thanks. Friends, that's a super dangerous condition to be in. Like it says in Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? All of the blessings you have in your life, they're given for a purpose. To bring change, repentance, brokenness, and coming to the feet of Jesus. Leading to rejoice, rejoicing in him and worship. Friends, that's the purpose. 
And you know, you can experience a lot of works of God's grace in your life and still not be at a place where you really receive salvation. You could be like the nine lepers. Wow, amazingly blessed. Been healed. Doing so much better now. But that doesn't mean that you have come to a place of salvation unless it brings you to the feet of Jesus, where you're truly trusting him. Ten were healed. One was saved, healed, body and soul. And on this uh, Thanksgiving week, I've been really thinking, am I really thankful? You know, I've experienced a lot of blessing, but am I truly grateful to God, my Father? Let me ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to truly being grateful to the Lord? You might be thinking, well, hey, man, I just went through this Thanksgiving week. Man, I had a huge meal. I thought it was a contest. I ate so much food. Of course I'm thankful. And maybe someone said a prayer and, you know, I, I, I said thanks. I'm, that whole idea of not gaining eight pounds over the holiday season, I already blew that out of the water. Of course I must be grateful. But let me ask you, are you really grateful to the Lord? Has it really brought you to the feet of Jesus or is it all somewhat superficial for you? You see, maybe God has done something rather miraculous in your life. Maybe you've experienced blessings, simple blessings, great blessings, home, finance. Maybe you've got some relationships. Maybe you have a church. Maybe, maybe you've seen God bless your life. Has it led to true thanksgiving? Perhaps, maybe life isn't working out the way that you thought it would or that you wished it would. Maybe your relationships have been healed. Maybe you got healed from that disease. Maybe your spouse returned or maybe they didn't. Maybe you are sick. Maybe you don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe you've got serious problems and there are huge unknowns. Are you thankful? You know, the most intense moments of thankfulness are not found in times of plenty, but they're found when difficulties abound. Remember the, the pilgrims that first Thanksgiving, 1621? They, they gathered and they gave thanks, but every one of them was scathed by death. Over half of the people they came with were now dead. They had huge unknowns, major problems. It wasn't like, oh, it all worked out perfectly and we're going to have this Thanksgiving, ta-da! Throw out the pixie dust. It's just beautiful, perfect. No. There was brokenness and there was pain and yet there was thanksgiving. You see, the gratitude was not merely for the gifts, but for the God who gives. And that's the problem. You and I are just thankful for the gifts. The gifts are always meant to bring us to the giver. And if you just are, man, I'm thankful for these gifts. And you're just so focused on that. God wants you to be thankful to him, the one who gives. The God who gives. When we give thanks, it's an act of faith. What it is is a manifestation of trust and devotion. And even when you and I cannot understand his ways, we can always trust his good and providential hand. You know, the most sincere times of thanksgiving is when you do have pain, when you've got problems, when you don't know how it's going to work out, when you're still, you're facing cancer or your loved one is, and you don't have the finances or the problems are in front of you. And if you give thanks, why that creates depth of soul. And friends, the greatest blessings... The greatest blessing is God himself. Remember the gospel? Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gives us himself. 
And we, in return, give gratitude to him whom we're trusting in, in relationship with. You see, our gratitude is not merely for the gifts. Our gratitude is for the God who gives. So let me just ask, have God's blessings, have, have they had their intended effect in your life? Have they? Have they brought you to a place where you're at the feet of Jesus? Have they brought you to a place of humility? You see, the temporal blessings in our life, they're meant to actually bring about eternal implications where we're trusting in Christ, we're rejoicing in him, we're giving thanks even when we don't have it all, even when it doesn't quite work out the way we want. And what happens is, if you and I do not learn how to be thankful, truly thankful in the heart, let me just tell you what is going to happen, or maybe it's already started. You're going to end up bitter, you're going to end up discouraged, and you are going to end up self-satisfied. See, what gratitude does, it gives us perspective. Perspective in the midst of life's trials. It gives us joy in the midst of journey, even when we've got difficulty and pain, even with each step. And it's gratitude that gives us an indication that our faith in Christ is real. There is something about people who give thanks to God, even in the midst of great pain, uncertainty, and difficulty in their lives. You see, oftentimes we're thankful for the physical things, but the greatest blessings of life are the spiritual realities we have because of our relationship with Christ. I mean, see how God's working? Maybe you're actually more grateful. Maybe you're giving love. Maybe you've expressed, extended, or even received forgiveness. Maybe the fruit of the Spirit is at work in your life. The seeds of the gospel, the seed of the Spirit, is producing love and joy and peace and patience. And more patience, and more patience, and faithfulness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. Do you see God at work? Why, it's meant to give you thanksgiving to the Lord. Only you could do this. Maybe you're more generous, and you're giving to the Lord. These are works of God in your life, and they're meant to bring about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to Him. Lord, only you can do this. See, it's like the seed of faith is planted, and it's meant to have a yield, 30, 40, 60, 100-fold, what is the seed that God, of God's blessing placed in your life? What kind of yield does it have? 30, 60, 100 fold? Zero? What is it? Friends, you can know this. You and I are always in God's will when we're giving thanks. You want a text on that? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It says simply, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know what the opposite of thankfulness is, don't you? It's selfishness. Who really cares if you and I are really genuinely thankful to God? Who really cares? Jesus does. That's one of the profound lessons we learn from this text. Have the blessings of God had their intended effect upon your life? You see, those who are really thankful become worshipful. And on this Thanksgiving week, how about we do this? Let's take a lesson from a leper and let us go to the feet of Jesus. I mean, think about how much deeper and fuller your life will be, my life, when we give thanks. Let's make it, as we're entering into this Christmas season, one time, at least just one time a day, we're just going to stop and we're just going to give thanks to God for spiritual blessings, physical blessings. We're entering into a Christ-centered orientation. And friends, that's what God intends. You and I are created by God to know God, to love God to enjoy God, trust Him, and to thank Him. And this morning, what I'd like to do is give you a gift. I'd like to give you this gift. 
I want to give you a minute just to express sincere gratitude to God. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to bow our heads. And I just want you in prayer to thank God for the blessings of Christ, spiritual blessings, the physical blessings. Thank God for his presence in your life. And just a minute, I'll close us in prayer. For those who are really thankful, become worshipful.